Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. All right, Kirk, I am ready to burn things down and make a whole lot of big changes. No, we're talking about resolution, not revolution. Oh, and I've done all this preparation. <laughs> I know you live in that anarchist city in Seattle up there. I know you're all dressed in black, right? You're all ready for the next demonstration up in Seattle. No, we're talking about resolution. <laughs> resolution. We wanted to talk about camera resolution because isn't bigger, better, more pixels better? And in some ways it is, but in some ways it isn't. And in some ways you don't need it, but in some ways it's good to have it. And... As usual, we've been talking before we started recording for 45 minutes, and we've been looking at photos <laughs> and, and comparing them to try and figure out the best way to present this. I, I want to say what got me started. I've had my Leica Q2 monochrome for, what, a year and a half now, and it's 47 megapixels. The iPhone is 48 megapixels. Both of those made a big change from the Fujis that I had that were, what, 26 megapixels. The Leica M11 Monochrome just came out. So the M11 is the rangefinder version. It has 60 megapixels. It has a 60 megapixel sensor. You can shoot in 60, 30, or 18. You have a choice, which is an interesting choice. And on a Leica forum that I frequent, some people were comparing photos taken with the M11 color converted to black and white with photos taken with the M11 Monochrome or with other monochrome cameras. And it seems that at the number of pixels you've got, when you're getting up to 60 megapixels, you no longer have the advantage that you have of the monochrome sensor. There is one advantage. The monochrome sensor is better in low light. You can shoot at much higher ISO. But if you're not shooting at night, then there's less of an advantage because I've been trying to calculate. If I sell all my stuff and I buy an M11 color, then I can have one camera and one lens to shoot color in black and white. But anyway, so... What I was thinking mm -hmm. is that the more resolution we have, the more latitude we have to do things, right? Yes. This is such a weird topic because it seems so straightforward. Resolution, you have a sensor that has more megapixels, and therefore you're going to get more pixels in your image, and therefore the image is going to look better, and end of story, right? It's not just more pixels in your image. It's more megapixels in your image. Oh, I'm sorry. It's, it's megapixels. They're special pixels. They're, they're better pixels, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's... Let me ask you, how long ago was your main camera only 18 megapixels? Uh, the last camera... So, so, so my X-T1, which had 16 megapixels. 16, okay. 16. I had that four years ago, I think. Okay. And then you moved up to 26. Now you've got the iPhone with 48. It seems that cameras aren't less than 24. The new Fujifilm X-T5 is 40 megapixels. Sony's got a 60 megapixel camera and others. It seems that those sub-20 megapixel cameras are a thing of the past for the most part. For the most part, except even some new models uh, are, are shipping with 26 megapixels. I mean, it, no, it's I said not... sub-20 megapixels is a thing of the past. Oh, I'm you're, sorry, you're, sub 20. You're yes. up to over 20, 24, 26 or more now. Uh, for the most part, I think there's a, an Olympus one that is still somewhere around 16 or 18. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think the, the industry has finally graduated so that, you know, at least the mid 20s is the baseline for, for most of them. And that's just in a few years. If you say your XT1 was four years ago and maybe you bought it a couple years before that. Uh, we've we've doubled resolution, and and with the iPhone, they've quadrupled resolution. It's been twelve megapixels since 
what, the iPhone 6 or 6S. Right, although it's still going to be 12 if you're shooting with the ultra-wide camera right. or the telephoto camera. Right. And if you're shooting JPEG, it samples down. And See? See, see how this happens? Like suddenly it's not so simple. And if you shoot with a 2x zoom, you get 24 megapixels. Instead of using a different lens, it's cropping from the 48. Exactly. Yeah. It's okay. There we go. It's <laughs> it's confusing. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> no, it I, is confusing. What, what's really interesting and what I'm seeing both in iPhone photos and, and my Leica Q2 monochrome is that the level of detail you can get lets you crop really close and still blow photos up and they don't look blurry. Yeah. Well, and also I, I think part of what the, the question that we're trying to answer here is, you know, do you need all these extra megapixels? We, you and I, we've gone through, you know, years of in, in the computer realm, you know, uh, processors that had, you know, uh, you know, faster megahertz and um, th these things that like there was always this this increment. Everything had to be the fastest, it had to be the biggest. And with photography, that, that has sort of happened, but it's in fits and starts. And there's still really good reasons that maybe you don't want to spend the extra money for say, you know, the, 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 the 40 megapixel um, Fuji X-T5 or a higher resolution Canon, or even, you know, go into the, the, the crazy, um, you know, like, like the Fuji uh, G100S. GFX, yeah. 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 Uh, which is 100 megapixels. And, right. you know, like there's a big range. And do you, do you remember when the GFX 50 came out a few years ago? It's like, wow, 50 megapixels. And now you've got that in your iPhone. And you've got 40 in the X-T5. So it's no longer, I mean, it's a medium format. It's a different kind of lens. It, it's a different system. But different the megapixels sensors, yeah. are no longer that surprising. 100 megapixels still is. Mm -hmm. But we're getting there soon. Yeah. Well, and so here's my little story is that when I had my X-T1, I made perfectly fine photos. Uh, there were only a few times when I really felt the limitation of the the number of the resolution there, um, and so then I upgraded to the XT3, which is 26 megapixels, and I didn't think it would really make much of a difference. But once you have it, once you have the resolution, oh gosh, it's great because, like you said, you can you can crop, you can recompose, and I don't know, like things just seem to be better. And I know that's that's kind of wishy-washy because you've got you know upgraded processors and lens elements and all of that kind of stuff. Well, in some ways it's obvious, but in some ways it isn't, right? It doesn't mean it when when you went from 16 to 24 megapixels, it's only 50% more. It's not that big a difference and you might not have noticed it. But now that we're getting up, I mean an iPhone with 48 and the quality of an iPhone photo, yes there are Android cameras that do 100 megapixels and they aren't great, but when you're getting up into that level, it's a totally different story. It's kind of like it's opening doors to new things that you can do. Now, we're not talking about pixel peeping. And, you know, I, I like to cite Cartier-Bresson's statement that sharpness is a, is a bourgeois concept. And uh, <laughs> I don't care about sharpness if the photo is good. But when you do have that latitude to crop and crop and crop and still have detail, that's really huge. I think that's the key right there is the latitude. Because you never want to feel like you're limited. Now, we talk about the middle and we talk about the edges. And we talk about, like, for example, people who are doing certain types of photography will definitely need those higher resolution things. 
if you are a professional high-end portrait photographer or fashion photographer, every extra megapixel will count. Like, like you can make use of that and that's great. Um, if you are, for example, if you do a lot of like uh, night sky photography, that is, is a good example of where having a like a full frame sensor with a higher resolution will get you better results. This happened to me um, last year when I went down to the, the Sierra, Sierra Nevadas in California. Um, my friend Mason and I, we were down there and we were shooting some night photography. And although my sky shots are perfectly fine, I could really see the limitations of my 26 megapixel cropped sensor compared to his, I think he had a 60 megapixel full frame Sony sensor. Now, 98% of the time, it was not that big of a deal. And for what I shoot, I don't feel like I need to spend the extra money to move up into that range for, for what I'm going to get. But, you know, every once in a while, you will run into a situation where that is necessary. For most people, for most of us, Having the extra resolution is definitely nice, but not always needed. Okay, one of the downsides is the file side. Yes. My Q2 Monochrome shoots 85 megapixel raw files. So you pretty quickly filling up an SD card. Now, you don't have to shoot in raw. You can shoot in JPEG. But what's the point if you have a camera like that and you have that detail? <laughs> what's the point of shooting in JPEG, right? So you're going to shoot in raw. Yeah. You're going to have more cards. The new Q2 Monochrome has 256 gigabytes of storage built into the camera. The M11 Color only has 64. I wish more camera makers would do that in the future. So you just can't forget your SD card kind of thing. But it's file size. It's file size on your computer. It's file size in the cloud. It's more time to edit photos if you don't have a fast computer. Yeah. Actually, that, that was the thing I was going to hit on the most is doing a lot of the, the, the processing that the software is doing now. Um, but last week in our last episode, we talked about uh, using denoise tools. And that is something that is computationally intensive. And so the larger images that you're working with, the longer that's going to take. So it, it is not out of the realm to suggest that denoising a 60 megapixel uh, raw file, I mean, that could take you know, 10 minutes or something on some machines. But Jeff, it, how much noise are you going to get if you have a 60 megapixel file? You're going to have a, a camera that's advanced enough that it probably doesn't have a lot of noise unless you're shooting very high ISO. Yes, when you're shooting very high ISO and, and, and you still need to, to do that processing. Or, you know, I, I mean, there, there's all sorts of other types of processing that, that, that's going to be happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you can't just think, well, I've got this 10-year-old computer uh, that does perfectly fine and maybe I have to wait a little bit longer. If you do a big step up and now every raw file is 85 megabytes, then your computer's going to slow to a crawl. Okay. If you can afford to buy a camera that does 60 megapixels, you can probably afford to update that 10-year-old computer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, because all of these variables come into play. You were talking about the need for the higher resolution for shooting star photography. And yeah. I think too many photographers want to be able to shoot everything, have all the lenses to be able to do macro and telephoto and stars and, and high ISO and underwater and everything. But maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should focus and find a niche 
and not try to do everything. But you never know when I'm just going to be walking down the street and the Milky Way is going to show up. Yeah. And because it's it's so unpredictable. The Milky Way, you never know where it's going to be at any That's given true. time. That's true. So Well, you might have an aurora. So, you know. And, well, yeah, this is true. We've actually had auroras here. Yeah. And I just have to say, because I live in Seattle, it, we are north enough. And in fact, there, there was a large storm uh, last week or the week before. And let me tell you, it was amazing to see pictures on Facebook because we were completely clouded over because this is Seattle. <laughs> One point that you mentioned earlier when we started talking about this is that, and this was mentioned with the Fuji X-T5, so 40 megapixels, that some older lenses might not be good enough for the additional detail of these higher megapixel sensors. Yeah. In fact, Fuji has a recommended list of lenses to use with that 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 camera body, that and the X-H2. But why would that matter? I mean, it's just light going through glass. I, to be honest, I don't exactly know. I think it's because having a higher resolution means you have more sensors that are collecting light. And I think that if the lens is not as good, then the light is getting smudged or it's refracted or, you know, it, mm. it's not coming straight through as well as, say, a newer lens. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to uh, our recent episode about lenses. Or maybe there's chromatic aberration that comes through more in an older lens and would have more of an effect on a new sensor. Yeah, actually, actually, a, a new sensor might uh, exaggerate the chromatic aberration because you could see it better because there's, there's more resolution. So, but don't you want to see everything better? I want to see all the faults much better in much clearer resolution. But here's the thing. Just from what I've read on, you know, uh, various uh, camera forums and such, there are people who are really, really focusing on uh, whether you have the right lenses for this body and this sensor. And there are also a lot of people who are saying, well, I've had this lens for 15 years. I love this lens. And it's perfectly fine. If you want to get super highly detailed, super pixel peeping, then yeah, you'll notice a difference. But it's not like like I need to throw out all my lenses because I just bought this body because it's it's just not going to work. But that's what they want you to do. That is exactly what they want you to do. <laughs> okay, so let's flip this around and let's say you've still got a 16 megapixel camera, but you want more detail. There are apps that can do this now with AI. And we did a test. We're going to put a photo in the show notes. It's not a very interesting photo, but it's something I shot with my very first digital camera in 2001. It's a photo of some cows near the village where I lived in the Alps. And it was a two megapixel photo. And I blew it up to, what, 16 or 24 megapixels. And it looks like it was shot on a better camera with more megapixels. And the AI, we used uh, Pixelmator Pro. We both did a couple of uh, attempts on different photos. The AI is doing a lot of things. It's looking for lines and where it should put the continuation of lines. And it's definitely doing some sharpening. But you can take photos from a 16 megapixel camera and blow them up to twice their resolution with some of these tools. And I bet in a year we'll be able to even go further because we're going leaps and bounds on AI stuff like that. Yeah. Well, in fact, um, I think the Topaz, their, their Sharpen AI product, I think you can go up to like 8x the resolution, eight times the resolution. 
um, something like Lightroom only only doubles the resolution. That's that that's the only option. And you're right. For most situations, you're not going to be able to tell. Oh, this has been upsampled because the the problem before was if you were if you're going to double the resolution, it would just be softer because it it was literally taking one pixel and turning it into four pixels, and that was never a really good idea. Now this software it it takes that into account and it can uh, you know like you said find edges and apply some smarts to to make that work. Another thing we mentioned in the past episode was uh, some of the apps will you know notice when there's a face and will actually do extra uh, skin smoothing or something so that it doesn't look like the face has just been doubled in resolution. And I think in most cases it will look perfectly fine and. Especially, you have to think about the intent. If you want to take your, your your 16 megapixel image and you want to blow it up to like a really large wall art, in the past, that might have been kind of iffy. You want to put it on a scoreboard in a stadium, right? You want it that big. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> something super, super big like that. But even, you know, like, like make it a, you know, a 36-inch print to put on your wall. In the past, that would probably be fine but you would notice that as you got closer to it, some of the, the deficiencies, some of the softness would, would come out. But now you can double the resolution of that and give yourself a little bit more latitude so that you can stand a foot away from it and it still looks really good. I wonder if smartphone manufacturers like the one, the fruit company in California, if they're going to start offering in phone, I want to say in camera, in phone resolution boosts like that. So let's say the the digital zooms we have now are pretty, I want to say, not very refined, right? You've, you've got the 1X, the 2X, the 3X on the iPhone 14 Pro. Mm-hmm. But when you go beyond that, it's just a, 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 a clunky digital zoom. It's not that detailed. Right. I wonder if in the future they're going to add some sort of algorithm like what we're seeing in AI to make those digital zooms better. I can't see how that's not going to happen because it's it's becoming so prevalent in, you know, just like our regular desktop software, not even, you know, super high-end stuff. And that seems especially given Apple and all the other companies their focus on the the imaging pipeline and, you know, having AI do so much of the evaluation and sharpening and image combinations and all of that. It just absolutely makes sense that that they would say we now have a uh, a 10x zoom and we're going to do this in software and you're not going to be able to tell because you have you know the, the specific imaging hardware in the phone next to the cameras that'll just make that happen on the fly. So imagine that with your iPhone next year or the year after, you'll have the equivalent of a 200 millimeter zoom lens. Easily. In software. Easily. Easily, I think. And and maybe even... We can get rid of all our other cameras then. If we get all those possibilities in a smartphone, why do we need cameras? Well, see, here's the thing. You have these, these images of, you know, spending a lot of money on a Leica. You could just get rid of everything and just keep your phone. Yeah. So really, yeah. really, Leicas are... are Nobody needs a Leica anymore. You have an iPhone. Nobody needs a, no, nobody needs a camera. <laughs> the, the main reason that I can't use my iPhone as my main camera is because it doesn't have a viewfinder. It's really simple. 
I do have a tremor, so when I hold a phone up and look at the screen, I can't really hold it steady enough. Viewfinder, I can hold it against my face. And also, when you're out in the sun, you can't really see too well. So you're kind of guessing when you shoot with an iPhone when there's a lot of light. Whereas with a viewfinder, you're really able to zoom in, get your exposure right, etc. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, I mean, it, we can't ignore the fact that that even though the iPhone does have the 48 megapixel sensor, it's still very small. And there is a lot. It's small, and the lens isn't great compared and, to and the lenses you know, aren't great. Proper camera lenses. So, so you have those kinds of uh, physics-based optical limitations that are inherent in a phone just because it's small. And you know, yes, you have a lot more resolution, but everything is small. So you have smaller light sensors, and you just have smaller, uh, you know, smaller everything, which is limiting. So I do need a Leica. So you do actually, you need two Leicas, really. <laughs> <laughs> Black and white in one hand and color in the other. And <laughs> well, no, but my, th my thought was that with 60 megapixels and a 35 millimeter lens, I can crop to my heart's content. Yep. I can convert from color to black and white because I've got the detail and it would be the best of all three worlds. And can I also point out that the Leica is not very large. Quite small, yeah. It used to be that if you wanted like a high resolution camera, you were getting you know, the, the, the big Nikon with the vertical grip and, you know, all of that. So um, it is amazing that, that this sort of technology, I don't want to sound like I'm too much of a, a fuddy-duddy, but it's amazing that this sort of technology is small and compact and something you can carry around with you without being like in sort of pro photographer mode with, you know, the bag and the gear and like, like all of that stuff. I hate those DSLRs with the double grip on them. I think they look like tools. They don't look like cameras. That's a really good way of putting it. I've used that before. Um, I actually, I have like the optional grip for my X-T3. And when I've, you know, shot events or uh, portraits occasionally, it absolutely comes in handy. But it absolutely is worth being able to take that off and not have it on all the time. So resolution is good. Do we need it? Maybe. Will AI resolve the problem of resolution? Probably. Where are we going in photography? Because we're getting into a limitation of what they can put into a sensor, right? Sensors are a very specific size. For a full-frame camera sensor, right? Mm -hmm. Or a, an APS-C, they're specific sizes. So there's limitations as to how small um, the photo sites can be. And we may not get much more resolution than what we have now. Mm. That always makes me pause because I'm sure, you know, we we're like, oh, I can't imagine a 100 megapixel sensor. And now, of course, it exists. Who needs, 60, who needs who more needs? than 64 kilobytes of memory? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. <laughs> um, oh, one more thing I do want to mention about the resolution, though. Um, you mentioned the file sizes. But another thing that's increasingly uh, becoming an issue is the fact that when you have that much data that's being recorded by the sensor, it has to be processed. And so I mentioned the Fuji X-H2, and there's also a Fuji X-H2S. And the S version is just a 26-megapixel sensor, whereas the H2 is a 40-megapixel sensor. And you would think, well, why would I buy this brand-new camera that has 26? And the reason is because it has a much faster readout time because it doesn't have to... Um, you know, transfer as much data for every image. And that's why um, the XH2S is actually more suited for recording video or, um, you know, high 
burst rate uh, types of images where you need that fast performance. And so it's not just how many megapixels you have. It can also be, you know, how many shots you need to take, what kind of thing that you're shooting so that you might say, yeah, it'd be great to have a 40 or 60 megapixel camera, but I'm going to get the better performance and capture the things that I need with this 26 megapixel because it has a sensor that will read the data faster. And Leica's approach is interesting, giving you the possibility of 60, 30, or 18 megapixels. So basically, it's using pixel binning, and it's going to be faster when you use fewer megapixels. Nice. And that could be another approach that other camera manufacturers use in the future as well. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. Are we going to do some snapshots? I think we should do some snapshots. How about a snapshot, Jeff? What have you got? In our last episode, I mentioned for my snapshot a loop that allowed you to look at your sensor to see if there was any sensor dust on it. And I also mentioned the other part of it, which is uh, you can get these little sensor swabs. And they're basically like like flat Q-tips. And you have a little bottle of sensor cleaner. And what you do is you basically swipe across your sensor, your actual camera sensor, to get rid of any schmutz or dust or whatever that, that has fallen on it. I could totally see how this would freak people out because you are actually touching the sensor of your camera. But I've done this a couple of times. It's been fine. But certainly if you aren't comfortable doing that, you'd much rather like take it to a local shop and get it professionally cleaned. That's an option. I've also done that in the past too. Um, They're not very expensive. It's like $14, $15 for a set of like 12. Um, and, and they have APS-C sized ones or full frame ones. So make sure you're getting the type that matches your camera or, or your camera sensor. But if you just have like a persistent smudge that your your camera's little self-cleaning mode won't get rid of, this is a way to do it. How did that smudge get there? You know what? I think it's um, aliens. Or it could be <laughs> most likely... Uh, when I was changing a lens or something like, yeah, I'm always very careful when I change lenses. Um, I am too, to but not... apparently I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what do you have this time? I have something totally unphotographic. Do you know what this is? Yes, I do. That like you just like blew me back into the past. That looks like a Rubik's cube. It is a Rubik's cube. Someone I know mentioned on social media recently that uh, his son has taken up speed cubing, and this uh-huh. is when you try to solve. Rubik's cubes in just a few seconds. And he's been taking his son to competition. So he's gotten into doing the Rubik's cube. And obviously he's nowhere near as fast. And that said to me, you know, I had a Rubik's cube back in the day. I had no idea how to put it together. Once I twisted the things, they never went back together. And this is something I want to learn how to do. So I bought a Rubik's cube. Um, This person, he sent me a URL for a website that I'll put in the show notes that explains, has videos, explains how to do it. I'm to the point where I can do half of it from memory, and for the rest of it, I have to look at the instructions. But so, like, there's a, there's like eight steps, and every day or so, I can get another step from memory, and pretty soon, I'll be able to do the whole thing. The reason I want to point this out is, at my advanced age, I'm 63. I realized it would be good to learn something new every year, something that makes your brain think differently. And this is the kind of thing. This is the kind of problem solving puzzle thing that I think is good for us as we get older. It's a fun little thing to fidget with. If I'm at work and I'm bored, I can see myself sitting down and, you know, playing with this for a while. 
with the instructions, I can do it in less than five minutes. By the time I've memorized all the different steps, I'll probably get down to, say, two or three minutes. Um, no, way, no way will I get near the world record, which is under four seconds by some nine-year-old kid. Wow. Um, when you see people do that, it's just like, in these competitions, the, the cube is hidden. Then they pick up the cover. The person picks it up and turns it around and looks at all the things. Then they put their hands down on this kind of a timer. They pick up the cube, and they hit the timer. So in the competitions, you know, people get six or seven seconds. If you want to see how this works, there's a documentary on Netflix, like a 45-minute documentary. I think it's called Speed Cubers, and it shows some kids doing this. It's like, I wouldn't want to spend my life doing this. And you, you see these kids who are just obsessed, but it it's something to learn. So we should learn something new every year. And uh, I have chosen to learn how to solve the Rubik's Cube this year. Wow. I, I had a Rubik's Cube back when they first came out. And I, I bought the little book, uh, you know, the little paper book that showed you how to do it. And for whatever reason, I, it just didn't click with me. And so I got very good at taking the Rubik's Cube apart and putting it back together so that the <laughs> colors matched. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's probably one of those puzzles that maybe 1% of people solved when it first came out. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anyone who could ever do it back in the day. I didn't know anybody who could do it without having the instructions. Yeah. So even with the instructions, I never knew. I mean, lots of people had them. You'd see them floating around people's houses, but I never knew anyone who could solve yeah. it. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> cool. Until next week, we won't talk about revolution next week either. All right, but we'll think about it. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.